It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the show, guys. This is a unique show. It's a year in the making. And how many years do y'all date? Uh, six years total. Okay, so seven years in total in making, and I think it's going to take a lifetime of training to figure it out. But this is The Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston, joined by Mr. Bo Hansen. And um, we're by day, we're fee-only financial advisors on the south side of Atlanta. We also have offices in Augusta, Georgia, as well as Nashville, Tennessee. And we hold the designations of Certified Public Accountant, Certified Financial Planner, and Chartered Financial Analyst, which means we try to cover about anything and everything that could deal with your personal finances. Um, we're coming to you just kind of to to make sure you make the right financial decisions, and that dovetails perfectly into something that we all face, or many of us face, which is marriage. And how do you make your finances work in a marriage? If you want to go check out the show notes for the show, you can go to money-guy.com. You can also write the show. I'm the uh, the primary host at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy. But you can also write Bo at B-O at money-guy.com as well. Now, here's here's the thing. Last year, we did a show with you, Bo, talked about finances. And I think we've just given up on trying to keep your wife's name out of it. We, we actually right. call her by name now. We did a list of questions, mm-hmm. and we're going to kind of do an update on those questions. But what I wanted to do was I, I kind of tried to figure out how do we run this show where people can get something out of it, be entertained by, by your life lessons, and then kind of bring it all together. And one of the things I wanted to remind people, and I said this in the last show, some statistics that I found just horrifying, but I think it's very obvious the way things work with people's finances, is that couples who reported disagreeing about finances once a week were 30% more likely to get divorced than couples who reported disagreeing about them once a month. And that ties into the divorce rate being over 50% right. now on marriages, you know, so you can count on kind of the look to your right, look to your left, and you, you've already hit well over because 50%. It's going to be a lot of those marriages aren't going to work out. And I've experienced that in my own life, being married for 15 years now. Um, the other stat I thought that was crazy was in another survey published by the Forum for Family and Consumer Issues, finances proved to be the leading cause of conflict in a marriage, with 39% of respondents listing it as their primary issue and 54% as their secondary issue. So this is not a topic that you want to take lightly because a lot of your married life, is going to be tied into how well you handle things with your significant other and their finances. Now, Bo, I want to give you a chance because we have I have the list of questions. Right. It was a learning as an educational year last year, wasn't it? Uh, it was certainly an education, and there's just no there's no other way to put it than it was an absolute education. Um. I thought it was interesting. I guess we'll just kind of knock these things out, and I think this will will provide some humor. And then I'm going to tell you kind of how the whole financial planning industry looks at marriage in general, because I was kind of surprised, and I've realized there's a lot of people a lot smarter than me that figured things out sooner than I did. I kind of had my aha moment earlier when I was doing show prep for this. But you had mentioned, y'all were going to talk about the budget on a monthly basis. Right. 
How often are y'all talking about the budget? Uh, I talk about it a whole lot. How often does she listen? Not not that often. So the budget's not her thing. The budget is totally not her thing. Well, that kind of leads into the next thing that you had shared was that you said that you were going to have your first budget discussion. You thought the perfect time. And, I had, and in the last show, I would picked on you because we have several clients and friends who are not necessarily good at marriage because they've been married for a long time, but good at, the, at marriage in the fact that they've been married a number of times. <laughs> so they had some, some sage words of wisdom that they shared with us, and a lot of them shared with us, Bo, you need to have this discussion before the actual wedding date. Right. Well, right. you said the ideal time was the flight from the honeymoon. You're going to be so excited, y'all are going to just be suntan, you know, sun-kissed, essentially, um, coming back off the all-inclusive where you don't pay for anything except for tipping the staff that's bringing in those fruity drinks. What actually happened? Man, that was a fantastic idea in theory, but, you know, in practice, that's not exactly, you know, not exactly what happened. So it didn't happen on the flight home. So I had this great idea. We're going to get home, have this budget talk. It was going to be awesome. We were going to have this think tank of brain power going. Right. And holy cow, was it the biggest emotional letdown because we went through the budget and she said, okay. Yeah. All right. It fell flat. I was like, how about any feedback? How you, what are your thoughts? How much you want to put in this category? I don't care. Whatever you think. So you didn't, like, you, didn't get, you didn't get the buy-in that you were looking no, for. No, I was hoping for, I thought she was going to be juiced about this. This is going to be some exciting stuff. Uh, no. Not, not so much. Hence, she's probably not listening to this podcast. Yeah, I don't think she's tuning into this one. You had also said the biggest monthly expense was going to be groceries. Oh, man. So what did you find out? Because I guess you thought, you know, marriage in the Hanson household was you go to work. You each go to work each day. Right. You're contributing to this this financial powerhouse of a family that you're going to build for the future. Right. You're going to then drive home. And eat your groceries. That's that, it. That's why it was going to be your big, biggest expense, because besides driving to work, what else do you need to do but eat and fuel this machine that's going to build I was thinking, a, a financial empire? You know, home-cooked meals, organic groceries. We're going to be eating clean, eating healthy, going to have, you know, you know, Adonis bodies by the end of this thing because we're doing all these great things. Yeah, groceries was not it. Uh, we actually know the subway, uh, subway attendants by our house by first name because right. we go there so often. What actually turned out to be the largest monthly expense, and it's because I was such a rookie at the onset of this, was this fantastic category that I came up with called miscellaneous. <laughs> the black hole of your budget. That is exactly what it turned into. You can hear the sucking sound of the money. You don't really know where it goes. Holy cow. And this is why it was such a rookie mistake. When you go over in your miscellaneous budget, what can you really point to that you need to cut back on? Right. You know what? We need to do less of this or less of that. So it worked out fantastically for her because she has been able to completely hide where all the money magically disappears to. And then I have nothing to come back at her with. Well, we need to cut back on this. Well, I um, think we can probably delve into some of these next things and we'll start to figure out a little bit of where some of this money, you know, the cracks it fell right, into. Right. The first one I thought was interesting. And, and you know, and I. This one, it might have been troubled by the fact that now that you're married, I used to pick on you because you'd tell me about these random dishes of food that would be brought to your house by, by some of your neighbors. After you've been married, how many, how, many, how many young ladies are stopping by and bringing you food? Yeah, that kind of stuff amazingly doesn't happen anymore. So you know? if you're not cooking the food that you have, you're probably eating out. And that's the first category is eating out. And it, um, you had budgeted on a monthly basis 50 bucks. Now, in, in full disclosure... <laughs> 
I mean, I've been paying attention. I was, I had to, we had a swim meet last night with my family. So I had to go through the McDonald's drive through, right. pick up some food. And I mean, with a family, and we only had three of us because my, we had a babysitter for my three year old because she doesn't do great at swim meets. And our, our food cost for just going through a drive through was like $17. <laughs> so I gotta believe when you have your budget at $50, you can't even go through McDonald's drive throughs with that. So how did that, that budget actually so, work out for you? Okay. So this is the way I laid this out. Uh, this, there's 11 months total that we're looking at here. Uh, and we are going from, uh, June 30th of 2012 all the way through May 31st of 2013. So 11 total months. On a $50 budget, how many months out of the 11 do you think I was able to stay under that budget? Oh, I mean, I would, I would guess you, you didn't make the budget by any of them. I, I would, I'd put you at zero because that number is so low. Mr. Preston, you're 100% correct. We went over that budget, budget 11 months out of 11. We did not hit 50. You want to know how much we averaged eating out per month? I, I'm almost scared to know because you said $50 a month. And I've heard some of the restaurants y'all been to. There is, I mean, I don't even know if you could get an appetizer, drink of water, and then pay the tip and stay under the budget. So, so would y'all come in at? So rather than fifty dollars, our average budget monthly budget over the last eleven months was four hundred and thirty dollars a month on eating out. <laughs> Slightly missed it on that. I one, even just heard. A touch. I even heard some of the staff in the other room gasp at how bad you blew that. that is, I mean, that is an eight hundred percent. Fail. I mean, that is that's fail. I mean, disastrous. Okay. Well, this one ought to be the gift that keeps on giving because oh, you yeah. said the biggest expense, the biggest monthly expense, was going to be your groceries. So then, I think the follow up question is: Well, if that's your biggest monthly expense, how much are you going to spend on groceries? And All you right. had and you had said a hundred. And ten dollars. I mean, I guess you you thought that y'all were going to cons- continue on with your diet of ramen noodles, cereal, um, you know, and that's all y'all got to have. So, how did it actually play out in reality? All right. So, of the eleven months, how many months was I able to stay under one hundred and ten dollars a month? On oh, groceries? this is, this stuff is going to be easy. I'm just going to keep saying zero because one hundred and ten dollars a month. I mean, when I buy cereal. I don't even know if you can buy $110 worth of cereal for, for what y'all need. So here's the way that it falls out. Okay, if we're eating out a just tremendous amount, you would think we wouldn't spend any money on groceries because we're eating out all the time. But we do this fantastic thing at my household where we go through this, this period where we'll say, you know what, we've been eating out way too much. We need to, let's go to the grocery store, let's go buy some groceries. So we do this fantastic thing. We go to the grocery store, we buy all this organic stuff that costs like six times more than the normal stuff, only so we can throw it away like a week and a half later, because that's really the way that it plays out <laughs> in my house. So, on average, over the, those eleven months, we spent two hundred and thirty-one dollars a month on groceries, which I think for a household is still low. But when you couple that with the restaurants, holy cow, we're spending a ton on eating every month. We gotta keep that machine fueled up. <laughs> I mean, that's what I, I'm kind of on genocide on that. You gotta keep that machine working. You know, you did. I, I, you and I had some discussion before the show. I want to make sure I give you an equal opportunity to show where you actually did do all right on the budget. And those categories from our discussion seemed like your utilities didn't go up. So you are keeping her away from you know, surprisingly, the air conditioner or heater. I was able to keep her very cold in the winter, very hot in the summer. I was able to stay under budget. Um, or Yeah, I was able to stay under budget for eight out of the 11 months um, on uh, bills and utilities. So, and that's your fuel for going to work. I right. mean, since this machine just has to go to work, make money, and then come home, I was surprised to see y'all actually kept that. You, you know, 
in, yeah, in so, some check. So gas, you know, we live for most of this year, we lived less than two miles away from my office, not much farther away from her, her work. Um, so I thought, you know, gas would be okay. Little did I know, holy cow, we're going to see the mother-in-law a good right. bit. <laughs> we're going on these trips a good bit. We're going to, you know, downtown a good bit. So I went over on my gas budget six out of the 11 months. Spending, you know, touch under 300 bucks on gas a month. Yeah. I bet those crazy. months that you went over, you probably blew past oh, it because yeah. that's what, it's exactly what you said. When you go on trips, go visit family, you know, you can't, you can't really budget that stuff. That falls almost into the next category, which was miscellaneous. <laughs> now I, I didn't, cause we didn't really talk about it. And I don't even know if we had a number, but do you know, I mean, your miscellaneous number. Oh, here's I, and I'm I am so embarrassed by it. I'm not even going to tell you guys the number. But this is what I'll tell you: for what I had budgeted for miscellaneous, I went over all eleven months. And if you looked at what the average I went over in my miscellaneous budget was, I averaged going over that budget a hundred and ten percent every month. So I literally let that catch-all double every month for eleven months. Oh, so you're saying you like you would adjust it? Oh, yeah. And then the next month it would go up even more. Exactly. You have the compounding interest working against you on that. It sounds like so. And and so here's what happened. To my defense, my wife she loves this jewelry and stuff. So she came up with this great idea. She was going to start this little side jewelry business, and it's worked out well. For any of you guys want to check it out, it's Hanson Design. She's got a stuff thing on Etsy and all that stuff. So that's a shameless plug. But so she started doing this, and she's convinced me that this is a viable business. <laughs> well, I said, sweetheart, let's, if we're going to be serious about this, I believe the IRS might consider this a hobby. For it to be a viable business, you have to show some sort of income. This thing is not producing any income. But some reason, every time I check my, uh, my men account, I see like you know money flying out to Joann's, money flying out to Hobby Lobby, money flying out to PayPal. <laughs> um, so this business venture that she has gone on, she makes some pretty awesome stuff that you know girls love. But I don't know that it's actually adding anything to the financial budget of the Hanson household. So when you check out the bank statements, I see you, you know, I know you say you see the money flying out. I'm sure there's just gobs of money coming back oh. in to the, to the system to replenish those expenses. So though, this right? is what she's told me. We never actually spend any money on the Hanson Design business because everything that flows into her PayPal just gets reinvested in the business. But that's the only money she's ever using. I just don't know that if we fact check that, that's going to be the case. <laughs> <laughs> you have to pick your battles. I don't know if that's, <laughs> that's the one you want to go after. That is not one I want to I go after. I did want to give you, you know, when we were talking, you had some healthy savings goals. You know, one of the things we talk about here, we're always, you know, big proponents of the millionaire next door type hyper savers, you know, the overachievers who are trying to save. We talk about 15 to 20% is healthy, but you would put a goal of 20 to 25%. Right. How did y'all do on your savings goals? So, so actually, even though we, you know, my, my weakness lies in budgeting, clearly. My budget was way off. However... Uh, we did some things good. If you look at our average monthly savings, we are saving on average 24.27% per month, and that is pre-employer match. So that's um, we were pretty happy with that. So we were still saving some saving some money there. That's pretty good. And probably, you know, pay raises and other things Absolutely. help out with all Certainly. that stuff. We've Certainly. had some good, good years. Um, just looking at, and this one was fun because this is something, when I, in a minute I'm going to give some life thoughts. And, you know, and I think one of the biggest things is transparency in a relationship. And I said, you know, what is y'all's threshold for when you, you spend money on big purchases? Like my wife and I, we don't do it so much anymore. And I don't want that to sound bad, but it's just kind of, we've been married 15 years. We kind of, you know, it's the whole thing I've talked about with budgeting. It's like a golf swing. Once you get a really good golf stroke, 
you kind of you don't need to practice as much right. because you're kind of it's just ingrained in you. And that's the way my wife and I are. We don't necessarily budget. We just have goals and we work towards that plan. You had said y'all were going to start off with a savings threshold before you had to check with the other spouse of forty dollars. <laughs> now I picked on you because I think beauty aids, which we'll, we'll come to that in a minute, is. Is more than that. I mean, my oh, wife's yeah. shampoo costs more than forty dollars. Oh, so, yeah. so how did that work out? Because every time you go to the grocery store, you'd have to call your spouse. Yeah. So Jenna was good on this in the sense that you know we didn't really have this this forty dollar budget was this thing that we said, but it's not something that we actually stuck to. However, if she was going to buy something for herself, she would always pretty much check with me. Hey, I want to buy some new beads for the for the shop. You, you care if I spend twenty five dollars? You know. So she would do stuff less than that. But anything over forty, if it was something community for us groceries, clothes, whatever. It just kind of happened. Um, so she was good on that, but $40 is not exactly realistic for the check-in number. And speaking of beauty products, oh. you'd put a $100 budget for a month. And I actually, that to me, I would guess that that's one you probably got most accurate because $1,200 a year for cosmetics and shampoo and stuff seems reasonable. You say, you're telling me otherwise, though. Well, here's what happens. So we get our hair done once every like three or four months, which she tells me that's good. She says that, you know, a lot of women out there, sweetheart, they get their hair done every month. I'm doing it like every three We've or four months. We've got an employee months. that goes once a week. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. <laughs> so she's convinced goes me, every week to her hair She's convinced me that this exorbitant amount of money she spends on getting her hair done every three or four months is okay because she's only doing it every couple months. But then we have, like, these super special conditioners and shampoos and this no-shine stuff. And, okay, so then we have that, but then sometimes we got to replenish our makeup. So we got... You know, all these special Mac or whatever it is makeup that we're getting. Well, then, even outside of that, I think the girl has 10,000 different colors of nail polish, right. which blows my mind. I think she could paint each one of her fingers and toes a different color for an entire year and never use the same color again. <laughs> and I think those things only cost like, you know, a buck or two bucks a pop. But when you have 10,000 of them, it kind of starts to add up a little bit. Maybe, maybe she's taking care of you. We are in the South, so, you know, you get... Trigger bites. She's thinking that you need the nail polish for that as, as all well. Of, all of our northern listeners just said, "What in the world are you talking about?" <laughs> the um, this one, and we're gonna move through this because I do want to get to to because you did. I liked how you, when you and I were talking about this, you did have some life lessons you had picked up on. I want to make sure we have time for that, so it doesn't seem like we've we've kind of gone off track here. But talk to me about gifts, like fan, you know, birthday gifts, Christmas gifts. Family birthdays, because yeah, so, you've given some numbers on that, and how did y'all do on that so stuff? So specifically for her and I, gifts between betwixt one another, between like anniversaries, birthdays, Christmas, um, we actually didn't do a ton of gifts, because what we decided we want to do is we want to start doing these trips. Right. Well, it's fantastic from a memory perspective, but financially it probably actually costs a little bit more, but it's something that we get to do together, we get to enjoy together. So the, the budgetary numbers aren't that important there, because we kind of went on trips, but like... For instance, I said birthday, $150 is what I had guessed last year. We went to Destin this year. I'm pretty sure we probably spent 150 bucks on food because that right. was like around her birthday. Um, so, but those kind of things, you know, you suck it up and you make those decisions because there's a quality of life aspect that comes into it. Family birthdays, you know, I think we stay, stayed pretty good with those, except for like, I don't know exactly how much we spent like on her mother's birthday, but I know that like for Mother's Day, Holy cow, it was a huge bill because she did this fantastic thing where Mother's Day, her mom got to go get a massage and a pedicure and a manicure and this sort of stuff, but Jenna got to do it too. <laughs> Genius. So we have a Mother's Day outflow that she's benefiting from. So, you know, those kind of things are funny. 
Um, anniversary, we did a cool thing. We did a staycation here in Atlanta, stayed downtown, went to a nice restaurant. But again, you know, those things aren't super cheap, but they're memories, so, so I'm okay with that. Um, I know you had some key quotes that came up was that you were talking about everything was going to be joint. <laughs> how, how has that worked out? So everything is joint, but what I realized is, is since all the money's joint, it kind of turned out all the money is hers and all the budgeting is mine. This is kind of the way that it worked out. <laughs> Um, I think she got the better into that deal. But yeah, we did everything together. Her money is my money. My money is her money. We split everything. And so I, it worked out well. There's no secrets, no hidden bank accounts. And I think I think it's better that way. And, and one of the things that you'd asked me before you got married, you said, Brian, don't you think you you're gonna, you'd ha, you have a lot more money being married than not being married? And, and I, I shared with you, I'm a, a natural tightwad. So I disagreed with that. But, you know, I shared in the last podcast, you know, a year ago, that the Bureau of Labor Statistics would tell you that there is something about marriages, right. that successful marriages do have a higher net worth. And then, you know, Dr. Stanley on his Millionaire Next Door blog, he also puts a very high percentage to your millionaire status families are typically married couples on mm-hmm. their very first marriage. So there must be something to it, but how close have you been able to track? Because the, the, the quote you'd used was, to the penny, you would know where all your money was going because you were tracking things electronically. All right, so I put everything on my you know on my rewards credit card, so I'm able to track all my expenditures, right? And I thought I'd be able to track it to the penny. What a pipe dream that was. I've learned when you have two people pulling out of the same pot, it's more sort of a range. It all ends up in miscellaneous. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> so to the penny, you know, I'm giving you guys some numbers that might not be exactly to the penny, but they're pretty darn close. Well, let's kind of, I want, before I, I kind of give you my life lesson thoughts, walk me through some of the things you realized over the last year. Yeah, so I want to, one thing I want to circle back to real quick is, you know, I talk about all the stuff where we blew the budget, but I do want to tell you that we do practice what we preach here at the Money Guy Show. I want to talk to you about some of the numbers. You know, I, I did a net worth statement as of June 30th last year, and then I did a, a net worth statement as of May 31st. Uh, we bought a new car a few months ago, so in debt, not including the new car because that wasn't there for the whole year, we are actually able to knock down our debt between student loans, mortgage, and that sort of stuff, down 3%, um, and we were able to increase our total assets, uh, you know, household assets, financial assets, by almost 19%. So net worth went up over the course of the year, even though we've messed some of this budget stuff. So, um, and, and I'll get to the way we're able to do that. But here's kind of a few things that I took away. I've got six of them that I took away from my first year of marriage that I think you could use. The first one has nothing to do with finances. But when you tell people that you don't believe in buying cards or flowers on anniversaries or birthdays, they get absolutely livid at you. Holy cow, I can't believe how much pushback we got from her family, my family, coworkers here at the office. We don't believe in doing flowers and cards. You know, in my mind, it's a waste of money. Maybe my wife doesn't really feel that way, but she tells me she feels that way, so I take it as fact. So uh, we don't do cars and flowers. That's something that I didn't realize people were so passionate about. Um, second, the second thing I learned is I learned not to sweat the small stuff. Sometimes you just have to let go. A big source of contention in my house is that when we do grocery shop, all this organic stuff. Well, when you buy organic and all these like super, super healthy foods, it's way more expensive. But she always says to me, we can either pay the farmer now or pay the doctor later. You know, that's like the organic <laughs> theme. Um, so I've learned, you know what, those things are going to happen. You just have to find some compromise. You can't go crazy over that. Uh, the third one, and it's the way that we were able to increase our net worth, is you have to pay yourself, pay yourself first and set it up automatic. That's what we did. Before we talked about any budgeting categories, I had the money automatically either going to the taxable accounts, Roth accounts, 401K, whatever the case was for the year. Um, and I had it set it up to happen on autopilot, and it made it much, much easier. Uh, the fourth one was 
have realistic expectations. So at the end of the year, I was so happy because I put together our very first net worth statement as a married couple. And I thought that when I handed it to her, she was just going to throw herself on me and tell me how much she loved me and how amazing it was. I hand her the net worth statement. She says, okay, what do I do with this? And I said, <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you do with it? You're supposed to just be so happy. I mean, look at it. It's awesome. Here's her net worth statement. Um, so I said, okay, well, you know, put it in one of your drawers, you know, keep it safe. So if anything ever happens, you have it. Well, then, you know, we moved a few months ago, and I'm taking boxes down to the basement, kind of storing the boxes away, and I see in the bottom box, there's a piece of paper sitting there. Well, apparently, my <laughs> wife had packed up her clothes, the net worth statement was in that drawer, she had unpacked the drawer, and the net worth was just laying there in the bottom of the box. So I was like, <laughs> all right, clearly... A lot of value she, in the hands she does not, She does not find as much value in this thing as I do. So, you know, have realistic expectations. Generally in a marriage, one person's going to be the money person, the other one's not. You have to understand that and have to realize you're not going to convert them into being a money person. Um, rather, you kind of think in a big macro 30,000-foot overview and make sure you're on track for the same goals. Uh, that leads into number five, and this is the best decision that we had. You know, first year of marriage, everyone says it's the toughest. I didn't think it was that hard. I mean, we had, you know, we've been dating for a while. It went really, really well. But we went through some spats. You know, we had some tiffs here and there. and We went through this one little patch. And finally, it was where I don't think that we were placing value on what mattered to each other as well. So we actually sat down and wrote down all of our one-year goals and all of our five-year goals, and we put it on the fridge. And what it did is it allowed me to see the things that were really important to her and, the th and allowed her to see the things that were really important to me. You know, for her, it was she really wanted a new car, so we made that happen. Um, she really wanted to, you know, pursue this jewelry business, so, you know, we support her that. For me, I had some savings goals I really wanted us to hit, and we did that. Um, and it really kind of puts you on the same side of the table, really adds some perspective into what's important. So write down your goals and keep them somewhere where you can see them visually. Uh, and then the last one is build in some fun things and suck it up. I'm a tightwad, no doubt about it. I think most of our listeners are tightwads. Brian, I think you're a tightwad. Um, so if it comes to spending money, it never leaves my wallet easy. So what I do is I just say, you know what, we're going to do some fun stuff. Uh, your wife and you and my wife and me, we're all going to Mexico next month. It's going to be an awesome trip, not the least expensive trip ever, but it's going to be okay. We're making memories, and it's a fun thing. Um, and I think, what, what's the quote that you all well, say? I'm going to come to it because I, I want to kind of go through, and that's one of the things I want to share is my okay. life lessons. I'm going to do some Bo Hansen echoes here in a minute, too. So th those are the six things that I took away. All in all, you know, I think what, what was most successful for us is making sure we're on the same page. Um, even though I handle all of the money stuff, in my mind, I've convinced myself that she has some idea of kind of what's going on. Right. Um, and she's on board. She recognizes that she, um, she, she knows that I drive the ship, but she's supportive of the fact that we're working towards the same stuff. So all in all, man, did I have a lot to learn in that first year. I learned a lot. I can't wait to see how much I learn over the next hundred years about how to manage uh, marriage and finances. Well, I've... Um... I've thoroughly enjoyed this last year, and it's it's been good for me because I, I think our listeners can tell from, that you and I have a relationship that kind of goes beyond the, the typical work relationship or, or the, the work experience. And one of my favorite activities with you, Bo, is because I, I do consider you, you know, you're kind of new to things. I mean, you remind me of myself when because you don't come, you come from pretty humble beginnings. So there's a lot of life things you haven't gotten to experience, and I, I really enjoy kind of seeing things through your eyes because it reminds me when I, me and my wife, got to do certain things. And one of them, you know, I got to take you to Disney. You know, I got to introduce you to the concept of all-inclusive resorts, which is the 
it had to have been a tight wad that came up with that concept oh, because yeah. it really is incredible to keep your wallet in your back pocket while you're going on vacation. And then, you know, you and I, just in the last week, we're working on trying to put together a Vegas trip because mm-hmm. you've never been out to Las Vegas. And I want to kind of show you the wonder of what, you know, these horrible gambling odds will build out in the middle of the desert. And, it, you know, and, and Bo and I, we've had a lot of jokes in the fact that I'm much more wired, likely wired to, to run a casino than right. I am to actually beat the casino. Beat the casino. I know I'm not one of those people that's going to come up with a system. So I really do take an enjoyment out of, you know, being a part of that. And one of the things over the last year is, you know, I like to offer you life advice. Even when I walked in this morning, you and I were talking, you said, okay, I need your advice on these type things. So I try to offer truly profound advice, not just for you, but also for our listeners. And here's something I realized about marriage is that I have a lot of advisors that sometimes when I run into issues that I don't know the answer completely, I can always go to the internet and get advice or, or find you know, high caliber people, people that I think a lot of their opinions, they're either personal finance gurus, um, but, you know, other advisors that, that I have mentored me, that I've gotten to know. And what I found out was that a lot of them can give you specifics on steps to take during marriage, but nobody will give you the full, complete roadmap on how to be successful. And I started thinking, well, why is that not the case? You know, and then, you know, a few years back, I think I even shared it with you, Bo, a book concept was, why don't you go do Millionaire Next Door style, survey all the marriages that are very successful families, very successful marriages, find out what common denominator themes that they have, because I don't think there's a lot of those books out there. Maybe something's to that. And then it hit me. And this is what I've realized all the other gurus have really caught on to a long time ago, is that every marriage has unique DNA. And I started thinking about our own client base. It doesn't matter if you have a super successful husband who's an executive making seven-figure salaries. If you make the assumption that he is the one that handles the finances, there's a good chance you're going to be wrong because you cannot guess who's going to be the money personality in that family. And there usually is one, a dominant financial personality in each relationship, but you can't put it on gender. You can't put it on who's the one that's generating the majority of the revenue for the family. It is unique for every relationship. And I've realized that that is a big part of of what is missing in in that question. And and I've seen it and I've enjoyed watching it because I've had the same realization. I am such a planner. And I think most of our listeners are planners. And we're always looking for, when you're analytical, you're looking for a roadmap that says, okay, if you do step A, follow it by B, and then hit C, you're going to hit this result. And you think, if I can just apply that same logic to marriage, right? We're going to be set. It doesn't work that way. And it's because you're working with different personalities, different, you know, aptitudes, different goals in life. And and that's really hard for us to kind of put in context. And that's why I think it was very helpful for you to put those goals out there last year. Hopefully everybody hung in there with us, you know, as we went through it, because it was very entertaining to, to see how much you progressed and learned. Here's what I've kind of realized. I can't give you advice because every marriage has unique DNA, but I can give you some universal themes and points that will make you a more effective partner in the marriage. And these are the things when I've gone and tried to find the top 10 list of things you can do in your marriage to make you more financially fit as a marriage. 
they all kind of hit on these these universal things. And this is where I wanted to kind of share and, and kind of do a Bo Hansen echo because some of these tie into exactly the six things you realized. First, communication has to be transparent and honest as well as it has to occur enough to where things aren't being forgotten. Right. Um, you know, if you have different spending habits, you got to talk about it. One of the first things we do is look at personal finance personalities when we take on new clients. And if we realize that we have one spouse that's a spender and one that's a saver, you got to talk those things through so that we're all on the same page. you got to understand or at least put value to the different perspective your spouse may have. If you try to – you got to refrain – and, Bo, you, I don't even know if you remember telling me these things – but you, because some of the things you tell, share with me that Jenna has told you, you've got to refrain from parenting your spouse. Uh-huh. If you try to parent your spouse, they'll resent you. Whereas if you maybe frame the discussion or item in a different way, it will be more successful for you. You also, you, you nailed this. We have to control expectations. And you, you gotta really, that's why you gotta talk out those financial themes with your spouse and have good communication. Um, I didn't have the stat, but we've done a show. And it shocked me tremendously to find out how many spouses or couples have secret accounts or they hide spending from their spouse. Right. I think that's a disaster because most things in your marriage have to be built off of trust. I mean, and it's not money is only a symptom. You know, I've been married long enough that I've seen a number of my marriages fall from trust issues just with the fidelity of the marriage. So money is no different. And I think you've got to have a relationship with your spouse that you don't worry about your spouse doing anything, whether it's from a fidelity standpoint or from a financial standpoint, where they're not being transparent with you. You know, I can, I'm going to tell you, I learned from my own mistakes. You know, one of the things I, during the financial crisis of 2008, I bought a TV from my office. So, you know, I don't, I, you know, it's not that we watch a lot of TV. We've got, you know, the ticker on behind us. We kind of turn it on in the background here in your office, Bo, and I have a TV in my office, but, and, you know, and it's, it's background, but I didn't really feel the need in the past to have it. But in 2008, if y'all remember, it was a daily occurrence that the president was coming on TV with the Treasury Secretary, and they were telling us what was going on as the wheels were coming off the financial system. So I ordered a TV um, and, and put it in the office because I wanted to know what was going on. And um, I, ne- I didn't share it with my wife because I knew that she would ha- – She, I think she thinks what we do here is a little black box anyway. She doesn't completely understand because she's not a financial-minded right. person. And and so when she came in, I think she had visions that I was going to be watching reruns of, you know, the, the Andy Griffith show, <laughs> you know, or, or something, whatever is on, you know. Judge the, Judy or Judge something. Judy or something like that. So we had a big discussion. I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you an argument over that. And it was my fault because I didn't include her. In that discussion, I will tell you some of the, one of the things I think causes a lot of strife in relationships is when you lend money to family members or friends that get into financial trouble. Because probably most of you who are listening to the show, you're the financially responsible person in your circle of influences. So it's not uncommon that as people hit hard times, they probably come to you. I've had those instances happen in my personal life, and I've been able to make it through it and even lent money to friends and family because I was very open with my wife and said, "Hey." This person's in a tough situation. I don't look at this as a loan. It's going to be a gift because it probably won't get the money back, and that's the way any friends and family loan you if you're just giving you personal advice. Don't count on getting the money back because that's why you can't co-sign is because probably they're going to disappoint you. But you can't hide those. You cannot hide those purchases or those transactions from yourselves. 
Also, you nailed this with putting it on the, the fridge, Bo. You've got a goal seek with your spouse. Talk about what you want to do over the next year, the next five years. Create a shared vision with your spouse. And then that's also cheap entertainment. One of my favorite things in life to do when the, when the, the lottery gets to 400 million or so, I go spend a dollar. I guess it's $2 now for some of the jackpots. Buy a lottery ticket and daydream about what I'd do with that money. Here's your chance when you goal seek with your spouse to do the exact same thing where you daydream about the future, write down your goals with a much higher probability of success than that crazy lottery ticket's going to get you. So consider doing that. Create a plan of action. You know, we're kind of getting here at the end. Create a plan of action and create systems that will provide a progress report. That, that net worth statement. Right now, she didn't put much value to that net worth, net worth statement. But let me tell you, if something happened to you, Bo, especially after y'all have kids in the future, right. that thing she takes for granted that you do every year is going to serve as a progress report that will let her know everything's okay in your financial household. So that's why it's important and it's good to have that you have that system. And then the last thing, and you nailed this too, Bo, and I'm glad to see that you learned this, you got to take time to enjoy life. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us have that propensity to be misers, tightwads. I mean, I even I hold it out as a, a, a prideful thing that I can get a better deal from most people. But you have to be careful that there's a negative side of that that keeps you from enjoying life. So make sure you take time to travel, do things to enjoy life, because this is the thing that you were hinting at that I kind of want to close the show out. If you don't enjoy life, your kids and grandkids will have no trouble spending your money. I mean, y'all know the cycle of wealth is typically one generation will create the wealth. By the third generation, it's gone because the kids and grandkids have no problem spending your money. So make sure you're enjoying life. And if you can follow those general things, like I said, you'll be a better partner and a more active participant in in a successful marriage. And I just appreciate you guys, you know, this show has been fun for me because I think it's shared and opened up a little bit. You got to see behind the curtains of what it's like to, to, to know Bo and myself and, and our relationships and hopefully see that we do really practice what we preach and walk that walk. And I've thoroughly enjoyed how much we've learned from, you know, having listeners all over the country that have become clients and you've kind of helped shape this whole vision and, and, and this skill set that is hopefully going to help you make better financial decisions in your marriage and navigate that that road less traveled better than even others are doing. So everybody gets married, but how many people have super successful financial marriages? That's what we're hoping you got out today's show. Check us out, money-guy.com. I'm your host, Brian Preston. You can go to write the show, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. Also write Bo, you know, give him some kudos for how much he's gained in the in the last year, bo at money-guy.com. But thank you for listening to us. You've been great. You've been a, a much added support with all the positive comments. We'll talk to you in about two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.